Please keep in mind that although she is part of the problem, she did not create the bill, nor has she signed it yet. It is hoped she will do the I'll read the address, or if you're in Oklahoma, I don't, if I have any listeners out in Oklahoma City or you know folks, go give her a visit. Uh, so Oklahoma State Capitol is at 2300 North Lincoln Boulevard, room 212 in Oklahoma City. I can send her a postcard even. Uh, it's Oklahoma City okay. 73105. Call on the phone, 405-521-2342. Again, that's 405-521-2342. Let your voice be heard. If you have a fax machine and you feel like sending a fax, why not do that? The fax number is 405-521-3353. And uh, then they have a quote from Susan B. Anthony, as there should be, I guess, in a lot of places. Uh, no self-respecting woman should wish or work for the success of a party that ignores her sex. And that's from 1872, a long time ago. The debate over our right to choose what's best for our bodies and our future will most likely outlive us. But we fight because it's what our foremothers and forefathers did for us, and it's what we must do for our daughters and their daughters. It's been said in different ways that anti-choice legislation will never end abortions. They will only create unsafe abortions. Be sure we are hashtag not going back to the alley. And not going back is the only part of the hashtag to the alleys after that. 
Here are 13 large and small reproductive rights organizations and social media groups to visit slash support. They can offer information and or discussion about women's rights and laws against women. Uh, Planned Parenthood, Narrow, which I hugely support. I also support Planned Parenthood, but Narrow more so. Uh, Pro-Choice America. Now, National Organization for Women, uh, NAF, which is the National Abortion Federation, RH Reality, UniteWomen.org, Abortion.com, that's glad that exists, uh, Fight Laws Against Women, We Are Fuse, and that's F-U-S-E, Abigail Adams Brigade, Pro-Choice Liberals, Stop Patriarchy Now, and Center for Reproductive Rights, also those last two, yes. Uh, the Guttmacher Institute is an excellent source of women's reproductive data and current legislation. Many thanks to Meteor Blades for reporting this news and for his continued pro-choice advocacy for women's reproductive rights. You can read the story here, and they have a link to that. And so we march on, and we are hashtag not going back. And you can find all the links to all these organizations on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash weeklyrev. I think it's time for some more music. There's another song that was performed, and it's kind of angry, but also has a nice uh, beat to it. So play this music, and then we'll be back with some more stories, some positive and some... Mm, uh, we'll, 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 we'll find ways to, to make it positive. Yeah, my name is John Neffel, and I am an independent journalist based in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the co-host of a daily podcast called Radio Dispatch, and I've got a new story in the book. to be seduced want a woman to take me out to dinner for two like to see her eyes get moody flirting with the thought of what flirting ought to do like to be real cool let her think about getting little me in bed here's a chat about magna carta Something can be said I'm a demon Politely All too slightly If she tried to find my knee But I'm relatively certain I'd compromise if I know me I want to be seduced Want a woman to talk to me suggestively to hear her say she'll be with me tomorrow morning Drinking hot jasmine tea Wanted to make me laugh Make a point of touching me when she talks Leaving all the jealous men in the joint To mumble in the beer and gunk I know it only happens when I'm napping, not in a reverie Did I find myself a woman who wouldn't mind seducing me? Only happens when I'm 
we are back. Oh, and that is loud. Does it feel like I'm right in your ear? Does it feel like I'm right next to you? Does it feel like I'm inside you? Because I am. I'm deep in your soul. I'm deep in your heart. Um, this is really loud. Like, is there something going on? Is there a reason why it sounds like this? Uh, it's the audience. Maybe somebody in the audience wants to listen to loud music. We probably have deaf listeners. Hmm. Those are the best kind. You can make mistakes. Hmm. So anyway, um, on tonight's Regarding Sex with Spicy Spice, um, we've had an interesting beginning, and um, we're moving right along through to the middle. And um, I'm very excited tonight because I have a wonderful, beautiful guest here in my studio audience. And um, she's somebody whose work I have admired for a long time, and I think she's really wonderful. Uh, her name is Madison Young, and um, she has been an adult pornographic actress, a director, a bondage model, a published writer, sex educator, speaker, presenter. She also founded the Femina Potence Art Gallery, um, which was a nonprofit art gallery and performance space here in San Francisco that served specifically the LGBTQ and kink communities. Um, she's also a mother, and um, she's about to be a mother again and she is we can definitely tell by seeing her <laughs> and she's also we're going to be celebrating her recently published book uh, well actually she published two books I think this past week or so so um, one is the ultimate guide to sex through pregnancy and motherhood a passionate practical advice for moms and that's very exciting I want to hear more about that and she also published earlier this week a DIY handbook about how to make porn she also does the erotic the erotic film school so she really does a million and different a million and one different things and so I'm very excited to have her here so she could tell us all about all the wonderful things she does so Ooh. welcome Madison Young Hi. welcome thank you so much for having me it's yeah good to be here. yes thank you for being here we very much appreciate it so so yeah so where do we start <laughs> I mean the thing okay I just have to say like and I'm gonna fangirl a little bit here okay, because great. <laughs> I'll, I'll just soak it in <laughs> I just like I it's so inspiring all, what you do and how like all the things you've done all the things you continue to do you're sitting here with a huge belly and you are still like you know like you just published two books like you know you are just a powerhouse of production and um that is very it's, it's really very admirable so i really appreciate that <laughs> thank you She's a jack of all trades. Like, give it her, give her a high five. Give her a clap yeah. around the paw. A, a high five thousand. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I I tell people that like sometimes people ask, well, do you do you ever get bored at, at what you do? You know, um, like writing or filmmaking. And I I say that it's it's one of the reasons that. I like to work in so many different mediums. I feel like I'm um, really working towards the same goal in everything I do, whether it's um, theater or performance or directing films or writing books. It's um, really always about creating space 
for the expression of authentic self and really mm. living our true life as who we are, especially in the realm of sexuality and um, uh, just deconstructing and destroying uh, stigma around um, sexual taboo. Mm. So you're really just following your bliss. Absolutely. <laughs> You're doing the things that you love. And, and I mean, that really is, you know, the enlightened path is to do what you love. And, and, you know, they say do what you love and the money will follow. I mean, I think that that's true, you know, and it sounds like you have spent your entire career pretty much just doing what you love because your career started with you basically having a lot of hot sex, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Pretty Pretty, pretty much, yes. Um, largely, my in, entire life, I have worked for myself in, in some capacity. I haven't worked for a lot of um, other people. I'm not very good at punching a clock. Mm. Um, Just punching an ass. <laughs> Just punching an ass or really having my own ass punched. I'm really good at that. There you um, go. But I, I started Feminine Opponents when I was 20 years old. Mm. Um, so, uh, and that was, was really me just coming out from Southern Ohio to San Francisco. And I, I remember being on the computer, um, I had this, this old laptop and, um, I, I knew that Michelle T's, um, uh, I knew what her little AOL, um, uh, <laughs> sign was. It was back in the AOL days. Mm. Um, because it was listed on Sister Spit for, for booking. Ah, and I had it listed. And when I saw her pop up, I was like, oh, my God, Michelle T's on, <laughs> online. And I was still, like, I was, like, in my my old bedroom in Ohio mm. in my mother's house. And I saw Michelle T, uh, like, on online. Mm. So I, you know, instant messaged her on, on AOL. And I was like, hey, so I'm starting a feminist art space in San Francisco. Would you come and perform? And she's like, yeah, sure. And when? And I was like, in a couple months. And, <laughs> and so I was like, I better get my ass out to San Francisco yeah. and start a feminist art space. So um, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I started a feminist art space at, at 20 years wow. old. And, um, first, it was just in a, a one-car garage, and then in a warehouse in Bayview. And our first storefront uh, in 2003 was in the Mission um, on uh, on South Venice between 15th and 16th back mm. in the day. But I needed a way to pay the rent, which um, and I was reading a lot of Annie Sprinkle and Carol Queen, and I had gotten to know them um, through the gallery. Oh, wait, wait, so, but, so you just, though, you just came out here saying, out. like, I think I'm just going to come out and start a gallery, and you yeah. didn't know anybody, you didn't... No. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I didn't know anybody. I was doing some, um, like, couch surfing, I was, um, sometimes I didn't have a place to stay, so I would just drink all my coffee at Sparky's, um, mm. you know, I mean, it, my, I was very, very dedicated to making the space work. Um, and then once I secured a space, um, <laughs> Craigslist Erotic really ah. the gallery going. Good old um, days. <laughs> and I found myself at, at kink.com, which back in the day was Cybernet Entertainment. Um, and people got to know me from the sites there. And uh, very soon I was, I was traveling around the country uh, getting tied up 
all, all over the country <laughs> and then in Europe and beyond uh, and started directing my own films. So, yeah. That's so I got to ask you, though, you're, you're not, you, you know, it's a radio audience, so they can't see you. And yeah. if you're saying back in your 20s, you look like you're 20 already. So <laughs> when was this? Uh, this was in 2000. Uh, I, in 2000, I started it. So, and you stopped aging then, too, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Well, having lots yeah, of sex well. makes you young, I guess. Yes, I mean, follow your bliss. I yeah. Think, you know, uh, really help with, with that. I'm, um, yeah. I've always kind of looked young for my age. <laughs> I was uh, being booked for all the barely legal stuff in L.A. up until, like, 29. Basically, until I became pregnant. <laughs> Um, I wasn't doing any milk work until uh, I had a pregnant belly, um, because before then, you know, they were like, we know you're 27, but, you know, you're still going to shoot and pretend you're, you know, 18. Wow, <laughs> that's <or> great. So. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. So what inspires you? I mean, what keeps you, what keeps you going? What keeps you just like pumping out? books and babies and films and like all these all these amazing projects um life and <laughs> I mean just the life around us and just the um hope that we can um you know I'm really inspired when I when I hear that people's lives are changed by the work that I'm doing um when I hear stories from people about discovering something new about their own sexuality um uh, uh, how it changed their relationship with their partner, how they were able to discover um, a new sexual dynamic, how they were able to like um, claim an identity as a submissive and as a feminist. Like I hear from a lot of feminists um, who are like, thank you so much for being vocal as a submissive and a feminist because mm. um, many people who have submissive desires but identify as feminists feel like no, that's something, you know, that totally goes against my feminist ethos or my politics, like there's something wrong with that. Um, and I've, I've spent a, a lot of, of time in my um, uh, erotic film work and in my performance and um, writing as well uh, about feminism and submission and how they ha don't have to be at odds mm. with one another. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that I really, I mean, you know, that's like my own personal kind of thing as well because you know I am very into being submissive and you know I but I definitely you know I'm a very alpha kind of person and that's that's definitely a challenge I feel like not only for one's own person personal kind of thing inside of me I think it's easier you know it's easier for me to feel that way it's very easier for you to feel that way I have found that a lot of people don't understand what that means you know and they they make the assumption that like oh yeah you know it's about submit it's about being lesser than somebody and but she's being that voice she's speaking out for those who can't speak up for themselves and actually being that role model and living it and actually expressing for them possibly what they can express for themselves and we love you so much and support you so much for everything that you're doing you're like you're awesome you're so great yeah. <laughs> so when was it that you really that you knew that you were making a change that you were that you were helping people um i mean i i feel like i 
you know, in, in all the different kind of mediums that I've, I've done, I've gotten different kinds of, of feedback. Um, but with the gallery, you know, I mean, it was pretty instantaneous. Just mm. um, So pretty much the first thing that you did. You were like, yeah, this is pretty awesome. <laughs> but, I mean, there's definitely <laughs> art shows where I was like, I'm just going to do this thing and I'm going to keep doing it until people show up, you yeah. know? And like, we, we had no money. I mean, like everything, we had a Mac computer that was donated to us that was on a Mac box and an office chair that was off the street. Like our lighting was donated. Everything was donated. Mm. We had really, um, we were a scrappy organization from the beginning, you know, and we were absolutely DIY, you know. Mm. Um, it was a lot of heart and hard work. That, that fueled that space and, and sex work. <laughs> that too. Oops. Um, well, we love best. And yeah, but you know, I mean, there were definitely shows where not a lot of people showed up. I still like, I mean, I'll, I'll pack a house with, you know, a couple, several hundred people for like a college gig. And then sometimes you'll go to like a bookstore gig where they didn't maybe promote or they didn't know about it and there's like two people in the audience or something and you're like all right this is a very personal <laughs> reading like, let me just you know answer some some questions you might have uh, <laughs> we'll have a conversation so you know I mean I think that that happens to people at, at, at all levels and all the time so, so I, you know I, I want to ask you a question about um you, you recognize yourself as a, as a submissive with a dominant personality, which is actually now a category in some of the kink uh, sites. Well, it's probably because of Madison. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and, and I find that it, it's a dynamic that's uh, it's quite prevalent. So how do you, but there's still so many people, so many, especially women, who think that by submitting they are, are, are dishing their fellow women. So how do you respond to that, mm. even now? Yeah, um, so I, mean, I, I think that there, there are just different parts of our psyche, and I think that all of those parts of our psyche, uh, if we're, so I am a control freak, and I'm a Virgo, and I, I really, um, I take on a lot of projects, as you've heard, so um, uh, I'm often in control. I'm in control when I'm, uh, when I'm directing and, and such. Um, so um, it, I feel like it makes sense to want to exercise that part of yourself that is able to surrender. Um, when you are in a relationship with a dominant or even entering into um, uh, a dominant submissive scene, um, it's one in which the two or more people are coming in as equals and constructing a play space um, for that dynamic. They're constructing what I call a container for that dynamic to live within. Maybe it's a 24-7 container. Maybe it's something that exists only on Wednesdays between 7 and 9. You know, I mean, you can, you can decide what that container looks like. But often, um, this is where uh, negotiation and communication and, um, and even DS contracts or agreements might come into play to be that, you know, that that container to hold um, uh, the, that shifting and ebbing and flowing of um, of surrender and the way that you're wanting to engage in um, uh, energy and power exchange with that person. And I think this is it's probably for both people. For yeah. Both people. 
And this is probably something you talk about in your book that you published a couple of years ago, Daddy, right? Yeah, Daddy, a memoir. This came out in 2014. It was just translated this year to uh, Spanish. Pappy. Que bueno. <laughs> We're going to see Pappy signs. <laughs> so, so uh, you know what? I, I love the word that you use, surrender. Because if you look at us, we're always looking for a place to surrender and let go. And I, and I, and I like, I'm a dominant, you're submissive. Those, those terms work for us because we have, a, we have consent, right? Not between us, but we, it, we would. But surrender, I, I don't know why I don't hear that word more often. Yeah, and I mean, mm. I think that there's, there's a sense of surrender amongst the, the dominant to the submissive as well. I mean, like you're both, you're, you know, who is, you know, I'm saying both, but it could be, you know, many more people than that of course um but you're you're entering into this container in a vulnerable space and 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 everyone involved is giving and taking and you know um i also teach uh workshops from a submissive's point of view a zen submissive uh workshop um really about how to not be a submissive sponge and just take all the energy but instead to give it back and how that that give and flow can exist um, because I don't think that it's something that's talked about it enough um, and that often newer submissives um, uh, might come into it thinking that it's a passive role but it's not at all. Hmm. Yeah, this is definitely a, a very good topic that, you know, would be great to explore at some point. Um, but I want to hear a little bit more about some of your other projects because, you know, you have. So tell us about the Erotic Film School. That was a very cool thing. I was lucky enough to help out with that this past year and be able to be there and kind of be a fly on the wall. And that was really exciting to watch that process. And so how did you start that? And, you know, what is that all about? Yeah, totally. So, um the Erotic Film School um, is a three-day intensive uh, erotic film training program um, in which students apply from all over the world. I look over the applications and um, I bring in a, a small group of students, 10 to 15 different students, um, and they create an erotic film in three days. They put together a script, a shot list, um, direct the film with performers, edit the film, and screen it at the end of the three days. So it's a very intensive program. We also bring in um, different uh, professionals in the industry uh, for panels, um, guest lectures. Um, so it's a really great program, um, and the last two years I've done it at the Center for Sex and Culture, which is such a wonderful space, and it's always really great to be able to do everything uh, involved uh, in the Erotic Film School there. Um, and Erotic Film School, it um, budded out of me teaching DIY porn workshops, mm -hmm. um, which I started teaching probably back in... 2007. Because um, you were basically just like, I'm doing this and I want to show other people how to do it. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, like, I learned very DIY style how to direct by picking up the uh, camera and 
I just just realized we're using an acronym, and I, I, oh, yes. I have a do co-host. It do it yourself. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a it's a vanilla word that you use everywhere. Yes. <laughs> do you want to explain to them what porn stands for? <laughs> I, I don't actually. Well, I, it's, it's a contraction. Yes. Episode itself as well, which the DIY porn handbook delves into quite mm. a bit as well. Like, what is porn exactly? Like. You know, I mean, I think it is an, an artistic medium in which we can create social change. Um, and it doesn't have to be, um, uh, like the DIY porn handbook is not really a handbook for creating commercial porn that's going to make you tons of money. It's about mm. creating erotic films that you're passionate about, that you feel like is going to create some kind of change in the world. Like the films that like, burn at your brain that keep you up at night like I have to make this film like it's 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 missing in the world you know mm. um uh not like I think it I think if we had bigger boobs <laughs> really sell really well and you know just stick another dick in that hole and I think just the, the numbers would go off the chart you know like it doesn't it doesn't really go there that's not what it's about for me yeah um, well, I'm sure enough places do go there. Yeah, so the DIY porn workshops, though, they started back in 2007, and I'd, I'd be given, like, two hours to teach people, like, how to make erotic film, you know? And it's like, okay, how can I do a really quick version of this? And I'd... Um, I, I, I had the, the quick and short version but people weren't getting any hands-on experience, which mm. seemed silly in something called DIY, you know? Like, they're not getting their hands dirty, and that's really how, how you learn is by doing. Mm, um, sounds yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's their minds, but their minds were clean too, right? <laughs> no. Nothing was clean. <laughs> Just clean toys. Very, Dirty. yeah. And gloves. And yeah. <laughs> hmm. And so, so yeah, so that evolved into the erotic film school, and yes. then that also, so, and then you just put out a book about that very topic. Yes, yeah, so the DIY porn handbook is going to be, like, our required reading now mm. for the erotic film school, which <laughs> happens every March, and um, we're just about to start taking applications for, um, for next year as well, so, yeah, sign up, definitely. Um, I'm have, signing up. We, we have scholarships <laughs> as well. Like, we try to always make it um, accessible, and um, uh, yeah, so please do reach out. It's at eroticfilmschool.com is where you can find out about it. Um, and it happens every March. Great. And so at another the point... The Porn Handbook uh, is, is also yeah, rooted out of that and is available hmm. on Amazon.com and uh, soon this week we're going to be listing it on eroticfilmschool.com. Very good. Cool. And so then you started another huge project which was <laughs> no way which one which, which was one? which one <laughs> which was you started you became a mother yes yes that was it. a huge huge project oh, yes. really and it was so how how did so how did that work like with your career how did that affect things how did that change things oh, yeah um the <laughs> The shift in transformation and transition into motherhood was, was a, a large one, definitely. 
Um, my, uh, my daughter is now a little over five years old. And um, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a transition, you know, I mean, I think it is for a lot of moms. Um, I think it was a healthy transition for me because uh, up until that point, I would say 99.9% of my life was work. Mm. And people would um, ask me, like, what do you do for fun? And anything that I would think of was also work-related. Like, my, my work was fun, and yeah. I simply right. enjoyed <laughs> my work, and that was um, how it was. There was not a delineation between um, personal and public at all, um, because I, I found that putting my personal life out there and being very honest about it um, was very political. It was, some, it was part of my art, um, and you know, it was a way that I worked, um, drawing from the personal. But I found that it's been very healthy in having a child because I now really do have a personal life. I have, I have a nurturing of, of my child, and sometimes I'll write about my, my mothering experiences, as, as you'll see in the, the Ultimate Guide to Sex Through Pregnancy and Motherhood, um, and, and create work about it. But, um, but a large part of my life is, is personal and not for sale, and not mm -hmm. uh, for public consumption. And I, I feel like that's been super healthy for my life as an artist. Yeah, well, that's definitely, I think, one of the challenges of being a creative person and, you know, utilizing your creativity for your work and, you know, using your life, like you said, taking so much personal from your life and displaying it to people. It's like you have to be able to hold something back for yourself and keep something sacred and, you know, and and doing that with family, I'm sure, is very rewarding and is probably very beneficial and smart to do it that way. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I make I make smarter decisions as well, just um, business-wise. And like, I think I used to just say yes to everything, to to every gig, and just mm. work, just work too much. Um, and um, and I think I would have, I mean, I think I was hitting burnout at the point that um, I became pregnant. Mm. And I think that becoming pregnant like brought me back to this this reevaluation of self-care and, and prevented that burnout from happening. And you've also been able to use it to explore in a different way because you became a MILF. Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And as, I mean, as a performance artist, it gave me new body-based material to work with. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> after my daughter, I, I made uh, MILF shakes as, <laughs> as a performance art piece. Uh, I'm I'm curious to know what's in there, but <laughs> I have some ideas. But <laughs> creating live and creating milkshakes, so people could have either milf or no milf in their milkshake. At different flavors. Yes. It's nice. Offer options. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like shocked. Over. He's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what's what's a milf shake? Uh, uh, actually, you know what? I was actually going to ask. Uh, I was going to ask. Uh, no, no, no. They're delicious. I like the strawberry chocolate kind. Mix them up. So, but here's an interesting thing too. You became a mom. You're obviously deeply involved in 
sex community. Some people would say, you know, kinky or, you know, perverted or all the other terms you can use, most of which we don't find offensive anyway. But how do you, what do you say to people when they say, you've got a kid, you're going to stop this when the kid knows what's, what's going on? Do you, right. yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that definitely was something that, that came up, um, especially during early motherhood, this idea of you're becoming a mother, you are now mm-hmm. asexual, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I try to address this quite a bit in the book, too, you know, that mothers are sexual beings, and we are sexual beings during pregnancy um, and into motherhood. and. Even our children, like we are born sexual beings, like babies touch themselves, not because they're perverts, but because <laughs> it feels good, you yeah. know, like um, human beings enjoy touch, yes. they enjoy touch, and, um, and I think that it's been a total gift in so many ways as a mother to, to hold this space, not just for myself, but um, to teach my child consent. Um, to teach my child um, uh, how to love her own body, the, the name of her anatomy, so that mm. she is able to like say, oh, you remember that one time when I was mm. peeing at, at the beach and I didn't notice squat, so I sat in the sand while I was peeing and I got like <laughs> sand up in my vulva and anus, you know, like I didn't know, you know, the name vulva or anus, like when I was, was I don't know, probably until I was like 19 or something. I, there you, you go. Know, <laughs> um, I, I didn't have words for my genitals. And um, I think that we really can change the way that we um, uh, think about sex and bodies and consent um, by holding space and teaching our children like from a young age mm-hmm. um, about these things. And and so one of the other ways that you're spreading the word about all of these kinds of sex positive things is okay. Hold on here. One more thing is that you're, you've been doing a one woman show. <laughs> okay, like because everything else wasn't enough. <laughs> yes. So in, in 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 February, I on Valentine's weekend, I um, premiered my one woman show, Reveal All, Fear Nothing. Um, uh, based on uh, Annie Sprinkle's post-porn modernist show, um, and I, I'll be—I I was supposed to, well during Tech Week. I discovered I was pregnant with this baby, <laughs> uh, so I was a little nauseous on stage, not only because of <laughs> nerves but because of morning sickness. And um, the—I I had already started to book a tour for in Europe for the summer, mm. which I had to cancel because my costumes wouldn't fit. And the yeah. pregnant body um, <laughs> just didn't fit into the narrative of the one woman show that I had written. So I'll be touring around with it next year Yeah. Um, in late summer, um, fall. And by then you'll have... (laughs) I'll be touring it with two children with me. (laughs) And by then you'll probably have another show to add to it or something. Right. (laughs) Or a book. So I don't think people knew, though, uh, while I was was premiering the show and and fisting my ass on stage and expelling into a milk (laughs) enema on stage that I was pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know, but it would have been exciting. 
it was exciting either way. I mean, you know, there's not many times that you see somebody stick their entire hand up their, <laughs> up their ass in such a loving, sweet, and kind, and, you know. <laughs> yes, I, we definitely got that. Yes. Yeah, we need some T-shirts. Right, the I heart anus. Yes, or yeah. Madison Hearts. <laughs> yes. Well, and so what, is there anything else that you have coming up that you, I mean, I know I, like every once in a while, like I send you these emails saying, hey, what are you doing next? And it's uh-huh. like, oh my God, like, and, and you didn't even put out like a newsletter or anything. It's like, it's like, yeah, but, yeah. so yeah. If, can, so, so the two books, um, the DIY Porn Handbook just came out this past week, and The Ultimate Guide to Sex Through Pregnancy and Motherhood um, came out two weeks prior. Um, and um, let's see, I'm doing a show at the Center for Sex and Culture on the 13th, a storytelling show um, where I'm going to be uh, telling a story about uh, directing and performing well pregnant. Um, Very good. And uh, signing the book and stuff there. And then doing a, a Good Vibes event uh, on the 20th at the Lakeshore mm. location on the, yeah, on the 20th. And uh, I'm working on a documentary called Becoming MILF on Motherhood and Sexuality. Mm. Um, and booking my tour for next year. Um, and in between that, you're going to have another baby. <laughs> yeah, so I'm about seven weeks away from giving birth. Yes. Yeah. So, so. that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, oh, and it, so I just unplugged. That's like a, a big thing. And I, mm. I went through a six-month unplug back in late 2014. And so I'm doing it again um, to kind of mm. get grounded and centered for the for the birth of the baby. Um, Good idea. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I, uh, I wanted to ask you one, one quick question before we go. Uh-huh. You alluded to kink.com. And kink.com <laughs> is very big on, uh, I mean, one of their big, um, I, uh, I call it charity events, but I think that's... Uh, Anyway, they're very big on sex workers' rights, and, and that engages the whole thing. Are you involved with that? Um, I don't know how much they're involved with sex worker rights, really. But, um, I mean, they, it, it has always been um, an interest of theirs, uh, uh, just creating a sex-positive environment for their models. Um, they've definitely, you know, I mean, I've, I've worked almost exclusively with BDSM um, companies for the first four or five years of my career. Um, and um, I'd say most of them were were very sex positive. Um, it was a very different realm from a lot of the um, more mainstream LA porn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people who were doing fetish and, and bondage in BDSM, it was because they loved it. It was mostly mom and pops and it was, um, they were, they were, it was great, you, you know, like go out for Indian food mm-hmm. afterwards, you, they like, you know, they took care of you, you were, you know, you mm-hmm. had a good relationship with, um, with the producers. And, and kink.com, I mean, I think they've, they've grown very, very big. Um, I did the, the one woman show actually, um, 
in the Roman bath, which is um, one of their very large rooms in the basement. And they were one of the very first companies that I that I worked with back in 2002, and I worked with them mm -hmm. up until uh, I became pregnant in 2010 is when uh, I think I did my last shoot with them. And my husband's one of their directors and he's been working with them for a good number of years too. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you very much for being on the show, Madison. And thank you for, you know, trudging all the way out here and, you know, fitting us into your busy schedule in life and really appreciate it. it so, and, um, people can very easily find you on online. You have a website, you yes, have, you know, all the org as an orgasm. <laughs> it's a great place to, to find my work or greatmomsex.com. Mm. All right, great. Thanks for and coming on the show. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, and I would love to have you back uh, in the near future to talk just about how, you know, what's kind of funny is the kink community doesn't seem to be very mom and dad friendly. You know, a lot of the people that go there and do it recreationally don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to hear about. Um, like, like uh, mommies and daddies or mom, <laughs> mom. No, no, no. no. It, yeah. Yeah. No, I meant. <laughs> There's it, a big difference. Yeah. And, and I don't mean it daddy in a, in a kink sense. I meant, but they, they, they seem to like differentiate between, you know, somehow there's got to be a line or you don't bring that into yeah. this uh, thing. But well, so I was yeah, that, that could be another show. Yeah. But so yeah. many kinky parents. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. many kinky and Absolutely. So, like there's a whole, yeah. like I think once you become a parent, you meet all the mm. other parents because they're like, how do you want to talk to your kid about this? Like, yeah. what do you say when they find your flogger? Right. You know, so yeah. that's what we'll talk about next time. Yeah. What's it, what's I'd love to have you back. Find your okay. All right. Well, thank okay. you. We're going to take a short break and we will be back very soon on Regarding Sex. Bye. Here's one for you, Madison.
eternal mystery. Regarding sex with Spice and Spice, 
Up next, we have a spoken word artist. You forgot I was here? Oh, I didn't see you. You're, you're, you're so easily to, bend, to blend back into the background. Um, so up next, we have, we have a nice spoken word artist. Her name is Katya. She's also known as K-Flip because she is said to always surprise people and she rocks the paradox. All right, so we're back, and maybe there'll be no more technical difficulties, but who knows? There always is in radio. One of the beautiful um, things about radio is that a lot of the technical difficulties can't be heard by the audience, so there was a squeak in the, uh, the control room, but it actually didn't get out of the air. Uh, well, um, I don't think anybody in our, uh, any of our guests can hear anything right now. Do we have to... No, well, that's because... Any of our studio audience can't hear us, so... No. The, 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 uh, is out in the studio, so a lot of people don't realize that Mutant Radio has an audio participation space. But because this speaker is brand new, we turned off the volume in the audience section so that uh, she wouldn't have to listen to her voice. It's very distracting if you haven't uh, had a chance to do that before. Ah, okay. So. Well, I guess I won't really be able to interview her then. But, um, well, we'll just say that... Um, she is, uh, like I said, she is called K-Flip because she is said to always surprise people and she rocks the paradox. She is a scientist and teacher by day and a slam poet by night. She has always written poetry, but she's only recently started performing it, which has helped her find her voice and her power. She's a passionate educator and entertainer, and she's excited to share her newfound art and magic with others. Please welcome... K-Flip. So once again, we have some technical difficulties. This reminds me of the time when I was on my knees with a dick deep down my throat. And I was actually working on a project. Uh, it's kind of inspired by what Madison was talking about, um, a project of um, traveling around and finding people who wanted to shoot DIY porn with me. Um, I was working on, basically I was just, as Madison said, following my bliss. I was um, doing what I loved and trying to see what would come of it. So what I loved doing at that time was sucking dick. So what I did was I was making f making short films. Well, maybe they weren't that short, short, long, you know, whatever I could with this process. Um, and I'm looking out through this window to see if the microphone is close enough to our guests as the dicks were to my mouth. It looks like maybe they were. So maybe we are ready for our spoken word artist to begin so I don't have to continue with my dick-sucking stories. All right, we are um, ready. All right, so this is a sexology 
called Lover's Lullaby. This is a lover's lullaby. Lay down, dear one, and close your eyes. Dream dreams so big they fill the skies. And let me dream with you and of you. Let me make your dreams come true and let me love you. Let me kiss you for every time I've missed you. For every star in the sky. For every time I've cried. Reaching for the star that seems just out of reach. Please, baby, come back to me. Though I may make mistakes, I'll still be there when the day breaks. Like your guardian angel, I pray you'll make me so lucky. Please forgive me, and baby, please fuck me. This is a lover's lullaby. Lay down, dear one, and close your eyes. Let me hold you in my arms and keep you safe and warm. Hold me as you show me my shadows and my reality. What is and isn't me anymore? You are a lover worth fighting for. Then hold me as you roll me under tear-stained covers. Like two sexy star-crossed lovers. This is a lover's lullaby. Lay down, dear one, and close your eyes. And when you rise at the cock's crow, Making me melt like a mountain of snow explodes into a volcano. And the only way to go is down on the brightest jewels on the most treasured crown. Dripping like lava hot in my mouth. Kingdom come on my tongue. I cradle your head as I sing you back to bed. Because even angels have to stay fed. This is a lover's lullaby. Lay down, dear one, and close your eyes. I'll make you sing sweet spirit so the heavens can hear it. And when the day breaks and the sun rises, the earth quakes as you slide inside. I look into your eyes and cry to the skies till the night is done. Fill me with your light. Here comes the sun. This is a lover's lullaby. Lay me down and come inside. I'll let you into the deepest parts of my heart and my mind. Don't mind the darkness and the shadows. You have the light, my sweet sleeping lover. You are the sun, the one I've been waiting for. For so long, for a thousand songs. And only you can bring this angel to heaven. Only you can bring me to my knees. I pray you'll make me so lucky. So please forgive me. And baby, please fuck me. Thank you, thank you. Not bad for the first radio show, huh? Very good. That was uh, that was K Flip Katya, and um, I just I just really loved um, the the sweet little fuck me. It was, it was very it was very sweet and cute. Um, so we'll have her back on the show um, a little bit later, and um, we'll hear some more of her sweet 
sweet, sexy sultriness. Uh, so we're going to take a short little break, and then we'll be back uh, with our next guest. Check out on the weekly. Or maybe not. Maybe.
are back on Regarding Sex. We are here live in the studio at Mutiny Radio FM in San Francisco's Historic Mission District. We are right around the corner from, we're right next to a really good, like, um, not sure exactly what part of Latin America the food is from, but, because um, when I went over there, they said, they told me they were from some place in Mexico that I knew about, which I was excited. But um, then there was all kinds of food from that I had never seen when I was in Mexico, so I don't know. But anyway, it's a good place to eat, and if you happen to be strolling by or going there for dinner, you should stop by and see us in the studio. We are here live on Wednesdays, the first and third of the month, and then the other two, you can be sad because we're not. Um, So we've been having some great discussions tonight um, on the show. We talked earlier with um, feminist, pornographer, and a multitude of other things, Madison Young. We just heard some really sexy spoken word poetry from Katya, a.k.a. K-Flip. And um, now we have our next guest on, um, and that is Andre Shakti who is an educator, producer, activist, and professional slut devoted to normalizing alternative desires, destigmatizing sex workers and their clients, and not taking herself too seriously. Yay! She wrestles mediocre white men into submission. Ooh, better watch out. My co-host over here, you, you might have to wrestle him into submission. Oh, <laughs> And you write about sex work, queerness, non-monogamy for Cosmo, very fancy, (laughs) Harlot, Mel, and more. She can frequently be found marathoning Law and Order SVU, like like my grandmother, Mm -hmm. under a chaotic pile of partners and pipples, like my grandmother, you know, she's... (laughs) (laughs) And yes, you know how problematic that show is. I do. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like you've studied it, so you know. <laughs> and um, we can find you at Andre Shakti in various places, Twitter, Facebook. And you this. have your own website, andreshaktixxx.com, which people should be careful if they're viewing it on an <laughs> open computer. And um, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about... Tell us about you. Tell us about who you are, your journey, where you came from, and how you came to be the magnificent creature we see in front of us. Oh, you're you're too kind. And also, I'm I'm trying to. I frequently joke with my my one of my partners that um, their energy level is like a nine or a ten, and mine is always at like a five or six. And I'm like, you know, you're doing that thing again where your energy level. And I'm, so I'm trying to match your energy level for Wednesday night. I'm like, I'm here. I'm here. I got this. I got caffeine in my system. I'm doing good. Um, well, be you. I mean, if, if you're like chill, that's, that's fine. Oh, I'll get into it. Don't worry. I, there's <laughs> nothing like talking about chill. sex wakes me up. There really is there nothing, <laughs> nothing like this. Um, well, I'm from New Jersey, the wonderful, beautiful garden state of New Jersey. Very um, nice. And uh, I uh, went to college in Baltimore um, and I am pretty much bi-coastal right now. This year has been very very bicoastal for me. I have um, a lot of fondness for uh, both where I grew up and where I went to school. Um, Mm. And also uh, the East Coast is really great and fortuitous financially for Mm. sex workers because it's not so oversaturated like San Francisco out here. (laughs) So uh, I go back there pretty frequently. Um, 
Uh, and I have been in the sex industry for a decade. I just turned 28 recently, and I've been working since I was 18. Mm. Uh, I started off as a stripper in college, the old putting yourself through school cliche. <laughs> um, and then kind of uh, what I affectionately refer to as like the sex worker snowball effect happened, which is where you get involved in one facet of the industry, and then you are inundated with people from different other mm. facets of the industry, and you just get more and more opportunities presented to you. You find out more and more about your own sexuality and your own comfort levels, your own boundaries and desires, and you start picking up kind of other areas of the industry, like a snowball rolling down, mm. you know, an avalanche hill. <laughs> um, and so I got into uh, fetish modeling, burlesque performance, um, webcam modeling, uh, uh, pornographic performance, and professional domination work. Um, those last two were about four years ago, and those are still kind of my bread and butter um, today, uh, besides writing. And, and, and so you started, did you start doing that work while you were on the East Coast, or that was once you came out to the Bay Area? So I got really heavily involved in the kink and BDSM community on the East Coast. I started attending, um, when I was about 19 or 20, uh, some events run by a company called Dark Odyssey. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> and I met a lot of sex workers through Dark Odyssey because previously living in Baltimore City, the only sex workers that I knew were the other strippers that I danced with at the club. So there was mm. no real like conscious entity of sex workers or like visible or politically active um, community in Baltimore. And I was really craving that. And uh, I, I heard you guys talking about kink.com earlier on the show with Madison. Um, kink was my first foray into the porn scene uh for the first year i was in the industry i was flying out to san francisco every other month to shoot for them and then after about a year that got really tedious <laughs> and um i decided that i also really wanted to be around a more vibrant visible um socially accepted group of sex workers and so i made the decision to move out here about mm -hmm. three and a half years ago yeah. I think there's always that dichotomy, you know, because I'm also from the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was back there and trying to, like, be a sex educator and be all like, you know, like trying to do all these sex positive things and just not feeling like I was really ever finding the communities that were really that, you know, supportive of that. But there was always that thing of like, you know, and then I'd come out here and be like, oh, my God, so amazing. But then it was like, well, but they need me back there. Yeah. And then you come out here and, you know, now I'm almost like, kind of like oh, but all right, I could teach a class on polyamory and, you know, so yeah. it's like, like you're saying the saturation thing. And, you know, I see. So there's that dichotomy between like support, but you know, the reality of the saturation and the reality of being able to work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, being out here, on one hand, it provides so many unique opportunities because all of the, all, so much progress is being done out on the West Coast in regards to sexual health education and, um, and advocacy around sexual pleasure and sex work. All of the change is happening out here, but the change needs to be happening on the East Coast. So what oftentimes happen is there's like a mass exodus of uh, freaks and geeks, like queers and sex workers and um, all kinds of alternative folks uh, who escape to the West Coast to kind of find themselves and settle in and figure out which trajectory they're going to follow. Are they going to teach? Are they going to write? Are they going to do activism? Are they going to make art? What are they going to do? And then once you're out here and you, you're here for a few years and you find your people and you find your connections and you start, you know, generating your business and your income and getting comfortable in that, it kind of at some point turns into a complacency and 
when I get together with other sex educators out here, even sex educators that are way more prolific than I am, who've been in the industry for far longer, sometimes it kind of just feels like this endless, like, circle jerk (laughs) of, like, everyone just sitting around and, like, stroking each other off and telling each other how, like, amazing the curricula they're bringing to like these poor midwesterners or these poor Mm -hmm. southerners or these poor east coasters is changing their lives and i am actually in a point in my life where i'm trying to move or figure out where i'm gonna go when i'm done with california which is probably Mm. gonna be sooner rather than later um it's like when you're a kid and you like come out as gay like when Mm -hmm. you're like you know 17 and you're like wearing rainbow pride everything for the first like year or two of your (laughs) life and then you like settle into your identity I just feel like that's very much what's been happening with me and now I have turned sustainable Mm. and realized that I'm maybe not making the change that I want to make out in California because Mm. it's kind of like beating a dead horse in a way uh, one of the things that that I find interesting is uh, you know kink and and uh, sex workers in San Francisco are mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, waiters in Los Angeles. Everybody's one. Mm-hmm. And so you've differentiated yourself because there's a ton of people that are actually legitimate. Uh, not, not that, I mean, there are there are substantial educators who are doing it for free. But you've made you successfully made this profit, uh, you know, uh, sustainable um a career for you and how did you how did you separate yourself from all the the rest of the stuff that's out there yeah i feel like before i answer you i should know what your name is oh uh will to fly hi hi (laughs) so nice to meet you i'm andre (laughs) um so i feel like the the big struggle once you've no matter what steps you've taken to um to get to a place where you are teaching other people about sexual health education. Um, I think that the the struggle now, at least for me and so many educators I know who are kind of on the same level as I am, is figuring out a way to create a body of work that makes money when we are not actively working. So, like, I have reached a point where I... Kind of Madison was talking earlier about how she say yes to everything, mm-hmm. and now she's much more intentional and conscious of like the decisions that she makes in terms of committing to to work gigs and whatnot. And um, that is very much what has happened to me in the past year. I've slowed down. I've taken work much more intentionally. Um, I I am almost uh, I almost never take work for it quote unquote exposure making like my big air quote (laughs) right now exposure or trade or um or you know publicity or whatever people try and rope other artists Mm and uh and sex educators into doing things for free um and uh and now it's really a battle of how to um create a body of work that makes money when i um do not have to run around like a chicken with its head cut mm-hmm. off, you know, for 22 hours out of the day. And Madison and I were chatting outside. Um, she's done such a great job with that in terms of her book. She's created an extra revenue for herself that works when she doesn't have to. Um, and for me, since my primary sources of income are still like actual sex work, uh, teaching live classes and, um, and, uh, like piecemeal journalism, just freelance journalism, um, that all still requires me to be running at 100 miles an hour in order to make that profit. So um, right now I'm looking at 
uh, creating webinars, like the idea of webinars. Mm -hmm. um, I'm looking at creating um, video series, starting to videotape my workshops and making those marketable um, to folks, particularly around non-monogamy. Um, and so that's kind of the stuff that's bouncing around my head right now in terms of like, how do I keep stretching this out for another two, five, 10, 15 years? Mm -hmm. And if you could do anything, <laughs> just you know this fantasy here mm -hmm. but yeah if you if you could do anything what would you do i have to say i'm i'm really close to living my dream right now but mm. if i had to pick one thing of like all the things that i do it would probably be to talk to people about non-monogamy mm. um i would love to make a full-time job out of uh doing non-monogamy visibility and advocacy work out of counseling mm. folks on non-monogamy, um, mm. relationship coaching, that kind of thing. That's kind of, it's been my passion for especially the last year in mm. education. You could spend your entire career talking to non-monogamous folks, folks about how many versions <laughs> of non-monogamy there are. Exactly, right? Yeah. It's, it's limitless. It's limitless. Yes. We've tried to chart it and it's just off the charts. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, or, or yeah. time management. That's a big one. So you could, yes, the, yeah. the, the infamous Google Calendar, which is no longer a novelty, but kind yes. of a requirement to be a, a, a functional human being these days. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you know that was a that was something that was very um, that was very much a part of like my repertoire for a long time. You know, I was I have been in some form of non-monogamous relationship since I was a teenager, and I first heard about it. And my mom was like, "Hey, there's this thing called polyamory." Your you mom try said that. Yes. Go, mom. Yes, my mom introduced <laughs> me to polyamory. Holy shit. She was, she was exploring it herself, and you know, she said that to me and my my boyfriend. We were teenagers, and <laughs> that was a very interesting right. turning point in our relationship. But um, you know, so I've always kind of had that. To me, it's been very natural. You know, it's like a good for you. You, you know, are like the uh, you're the anomaly. You are such an yes. like that is such yes. like kudos to you. you. Just like I'm gonna call my mom later and be like, Mom, you failed. <laughs> like you're accepting now. But where were you when I was 16 and cheating on my boyfriend? I needed that. Non-monogamy-talk-content. Is you have your shtick? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the three things people come to me for anymore are uh, are fisting, wrestling, and non-monogamy, and I'm <laughs> real happy about that. Wait, and how could you put that all together? Let's say fisting, <laughs> wrestling, non-monogamy, fisting. <laughs> you should never have anybody, any, anything but one fist up your ass at any time. No, I mean, no what? Yeah. How, that's not. That, that is not that's even monogamy. That's like yeah, true. <laughs> You should be a monogamous with that <laughs> arm. <laughs> I mean, I have really big hands, so I've, I've, I've. Uh, the only reason I haven't fit two hands into someone's ass is only because I have larger hands, but it is not for lack of trying. I will let you know. Well, two would be Polly, right? Two would be Polly. Yeah, yeah there, exactly. you, you just screwed it up there. Right yeah, there. totally. Oh, Though, are you counting like both hands as individual entities and then me as a third entity? Because then that like no. leaves triad should, status should, and goes into. You should only have one arm <laughs> in your body for the rest of your life. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think you can count each finger oh, as, I like that. as something, you it's know. It's an orgy in your ass every hey. time. <laughs> 
There you go. So what's something that you have coming up that you're looking forward to? Um, well, I will totally plug a thing that I'm doing with Madison next weekend. Um, her and I are speaking at the Center for Sex and Culture, which is also the location of her film school that she mentioned yes. on air. Um, I've been a panelist at her film school for the past three years, and it's been wonderful. Um but uh, we are um, the headliners for an event called TMI. It is a uh, sex worker storytelling event where basically Madison and I get on stage and tell all of the really like um, messy, disgusting, amazing, sexy, splashy, uh, ass backwards things that have happened to us in the sex industry, of which we have limitless stories, as <laughs> does anyone who does this kind of work. Um, and that is happening next Saturday, the 13th, I believe is the date, um, mm -hmm. at 7 p.m. at the Center for Sex and Culture. Um, and then a lot is happening, actually. I am very heavily involved in conferences, and mm. the fall brings conference season. So um, in uh, September, I am going down to Los Angeles to present at Catalyst Con West. Mm. Um, I'm doing speaking on two panels, um, one about Proposition uh, 60, um, which affects sex workers in the state of California and the other about the differences that sex professionals face um, in their off-the-clock lives. Uh, it's a panel of myself and four other individuals who are involved in um, mostly sexual pleasure coaching uh, and therapy and education and talking about how basically to how basically to keep those things separate, to keep your personal life and your work life separate and how mm. they end up overlapping both consensually and non-consensually um, mm. throughout the course of your life. And then finally in October, um, there is a conference that I helped curate. Its first year was last year. It's called Sex Down South. It's mm. in Atlanta. Um, it is the most brilliant sexuality conference I've ever been to, and I've been to a lot of sexuality conferences. Mm, I um, know. I'm sad. This yeah. actually this actually makes me sad that I moved out of the South. It's a one tiny little I'm in thing. love with Atlanta. <laughs> That's where I'm looking. I'm looking at Atlanta. Like, if I move out of California, Atlanta's first on my list. Um, but it is cool stuff. the only uh, Southern Sexuality Conference. It is also the only sexuality conference that prioritizes people of color, mm. um, both in uh, their the presenters, um, the staff, performers for the evening entertainment, the vendors, um, the subject matters of the workshops, everything, everything, everything prioritizes people of color, and mm. that is unheard of. Um, and there's also this really lovely um, crossover with spirituality that happens, again, because we're in the deep south and mm -hmm. there's just like a really heavy religious community there oh uh, yeah yeah but it also i was very surprised because i'm kind of like a lifelong agnostic and uh and i always you know you always see people so fervently trying to um separate and keep separate religion and sexuality and this mm -hmm. conference did such an incredible job of bringing in all of these usually female religious leaders from the atlanta community mm. and to teach these amazing sex positive workshops on how you can hold space for religion and spirituality and sex positivity mm. and that was incredible to watch now how was it that you um decided to to um start this convention in atlanta as well opposed to anywhere else i can't say credit for conceptualizing it um the two uh original founders are named uh, tia and marla and um they created a committee of five of us mm. and i was asked about two and a half years ago like over a year before the first conference even um even uh, came about if I wanted to, to join the board um, by another member of the mm -hmm. board. And I actually was really hesitant because um, 
because I'm white. <laughs> and I saw, like, to be honest, I was like, you guys know I'm white, right? Which happens sometimes. Like, I, I'm, I'm Italian, but where Italian is read in New Jersey, um, people are often assume POC out here. Mm. Um, so I was like, are you guys sure you want me on board? And they did. And, uh, and so there was a committee of five of us that um, worked really hard over the course of a year, uh, a year long of weekly Skype meetings um, in order to get the first conference together. And it was mm. a raging success. And this year I've had a little less of a hand in that, but mostly because I have a heavier uh, teaching load when I'm on the ground for the committee. So I'm kind of of moving from the nice, the long game, playing the long game, um, to like cramming the short game when I get there. Mm, so. It sounds fun. Yeah, it's really great. Makes me want to teach again. Sexdownsouth.com. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> awesome. So, um, you know, you mentioned uh, uh, that your mom like is supportive of you, and so you know, I'm curious about that. An Italian, you know, an Italian mother mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. New Jersey. Yep. You know, and um, so you know, I'm just curious, like, because you also said about like the the personal and the professional and keeping mm-hmm. that separate so how do you work with that and how do you you know how how does it work with your family and with you know the population at large and the work you do yeah the answer is that I've just I decided at a very very early time like the first week um, that I turned 18 and decided to go audition at the strip club that I just wasn't going to play that game um, I just decided I had no interest in playing that uh, the separation of personal life and professional life and um, you know bending over backwards to constantly cover my online footprints and uh, how was I going to come out to this person in the family and how was that going to be different from how I came out to this person in the family and um, I have a lot of privilege in saying that like I am a white woman I was raised upper middle class um, my family is highly educated um, and I am an indoor sex worker. Um, I was not coming out as like a street worker when mm. I first came out um, as a sex worker, which all of that makes a huge difference. Um, but all that being said, I still came from a family for whom I am definitely the black sheep. Um, I was always like the artist, the weirdo, the girl that hung out with all the gay kids before I came out myself. Um, and uh, you know, from the moment that I had my first audition at the club, uh, as soon as I got the spot, I called my mom and I was just like, Hey mom, um, just so you know, I'm gonna try exotic dancing for a while. Um, I'm not being coerced. I'm healthy. I'm happy. And I will keep you posted as much as you want to know, but I just want to let you know before anybody else told you. Mm. And that is just how I've approached everything since then. Um, uh, it's a very interesting time right now because actually um, the sex work is taking a backseat and the non-monogamy is taking mm. priority because um, one of my lovely partners is here sitting very quietly next to me in the studio. <laughs> the other one is puking his guts out because he has a stomach virus at home um, and he marries his other partner on Friday. Yeah. And so very I hope he gets better. <laughs> yes, me too. Believe us. We, we all really want him to get better. He's got to be at that courthouse. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, for me, um, I a mix of my personality and my privilege um, and the kind of work that I do kind of just always meant that I was just very upfront about what I did. And mm-hmm. I've undoubtedly lost things because of that. Um, I tried extremely hard um, to go to graduate school uh, to get my Emmy in human sexuality. I really wanted to teach. Um, and I uh, was denied access um, mm. to a university that I had like passed through all the flaming hoops um, when they found out that I was also a sex worker and that the bulk mm. of my work would be doing a lot of research based um, 
risk assessment and harm reduction uh, stuff around sex workers, and um, which seems really ass backwards, right? Yeah. It's like a sexuality <laughs> program, yeah. and I won't name the university because I'm a bigger person. But mm. um, uh, so that definitely happened. That was really devastating, and that was. Um, what university was that? I know. I well, it's Widener in uh, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, there are only like four or five um, colleges in the United States that offer human sexuality master's mm-hmm. programs, and Widener is the only one that offers an ME, a master's in education in human sexuality. And so they were like my, I graduated college a year early, actually, so that I could like get undergraduate done and go to graduate school. And it just didn't, just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes I wonder how my life would have been different, but I have zero regrets about it. Um, so that happens uh, on the lesser side of discrimination. Um, I've had more recently, I've had uh, crowdfunding campaigns that I've started um, uh, disabled by the uh, credit card processors um, who answer to the crowdfunding mm-hmm. campaign websites uh, because they find out that I'm an adult worker and they don't want to be associated with that. Um, I had my Airbnb account deactivated after three like flawless years of using Airbnb what? because they found out that I was a sex worker. Huh. Um, I also, I, I don't do full service work and so all of the work that I do is like legitimately legal and so mm. it just makes it that much more like frustrating. Um, so those things have happened um, but uh, at this point, because it has been so long, it has been 10 years that I've been in this industry, um, I think my family is finally starting to accept that all of this is not a phase mm. and that I'm <laughs> going to be this person until I die. And so uh, they've kind of settled into a, a, I don't know, begrudging complacency about it. Um, my sister's really great. She's very supportive. <laughs> well, I, I think that our, our I think that our listeners would not have a any kind of begrudging complacency for you. We're all very excited to hear what you what you produce and what you bring to the world and uh, we're gonna keep looking for you out there. In I think the, he in wants the a wrestling session. Hold on. Do you I, want, I think he do you, does. Do you want to book something with me? Because you yeah. can just call my personal assistant when we get off off the air, and we'll set something up. Oh. <laughs> I'll pay for it. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I did that once for uh, oh, when yeah? I was married. Yeah, it was uh, it, my Ooh, my brother this. bought it for me, and I'm a big guy. And and, and this was before I I really kind of acknowledged who and what I was. Uh-huh. So my mom raised me, and I was her escort. You, you a, a guy is a guy, and he opens doors, and you know you don't hurt girls. Careful how you use the word escort in in yeah, sex, in work sex company, workers. Because yeah. I was like, whoa, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was my mom's so, escort. So I go in there, and those girls they don't get paid by the hour; they get paid by the bout. And they mm. fucking floored me in like 30 <laughs> seconds. I'm going high. My name is Boom. I was on the canvas, man. So Tumbling, right? Yeah. Very... So only if you promise to be um, dainty will I wrestle with you. I mean, if you pay my rate, I will be any way you want me to be. <laughs> All right, touche. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think it should be double. Yeah, but it was dainty. not very much fun. Yeah, it was not very much fun. And... Um, I'm glad you lived. Yeah. I'm glad that you're here with us today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they had consent for me. I didn't have consent for them. But, Got it. But um, actually, curiosity question, too, real quick. About how many, you know, uh, we all heard the line about I'm putting myself through college and all the other kind of trite lines that we've heard. Mm-hmm. But about, about in, in your experience, when you were first coming in, was, was there a good population that were really, this was what they did? And there was no, it wasn't anything but... You yeah, mean not, like as uh, like like career? The difference between like hobbyists and career workers. 
Like, like people who like got in the industry and like, that is what they do. And they're there to stay versus the folks who are the college girls who come in to make that fast money over a summer and then balance. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, cause we, I, what I wanted to do is give you the opportunity to shape mm-hmm. what, what those people are, you know, to the people, cause half our on is kind of vanilla, half is kinky. So yeah. You know. I mean, so if you like, here's, here's the thing. If you walk into, if you walk into a law office and you sit every single person down who works in that law office and you ask them why they got into their work, the work they did, what motivated them, how long they've been in the industry, um, do they think they're going to be here for very much longer? How do they feel about the work, et cetera? All of their answers are going to be different, right? Because you're talking to a group of completely different people. The thing that I can't stress enough about the sex industry is that it is more like any other industry than it is dissimilar to any other industry. And every single worker who's in it, no matter what genre you're talking about, whether it's porn, stripping, webcam modeling, whatever, they're all in it for different reasons. Some are better than others, some are healthier than others, um, but they are as diverse a group of people and also as mundane a group of people as you would expect to find almost in any other industry. Um, so I would say, you know, there are just as many folks, you know, trying on a new hat uh, at the strip club that night as there are women who have, who made this their career a long time ago and are very happy with that decision. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks for having me. And um, we can find you online on Andre Shakti. Yep, Just Andre Shakti. That up. You better uh, spell that last name. I know. Uh, S-H-A-K-T-I. Shakti. Um, as someone, only you guys will see this, but as a porn producer once told me, I did the shocker and then a T because I'm classy. Um, so, yes, you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, um, AndreShaktiXXX.com. If you don't know what XXX means, you probably shouldn't open that at work. And um, I also, as you mentioned in the beginning of the show, I write um, frequently for Cosmopolitan mm. online, um, a magazine called Mel. Um, the website is WeAreMel.com. Really amazing progressive men's magazine. They have a trans man writing there weekly column for men if that is any indication of how awesome they are very nice um and uh i also do little bits for buzzfeed and thrillist and fusion and sites like that so very good find me (laughs) awesome well we will and um we're gonna take a very very short break and um then we will be back with one last time we actually have just uh, two minutes left so yes but we we want to we want to have our our uh, spoken word person back on Step um, on up. All right. We won't take a break. We'll just uh, have her come back on so that that way we don't lose our recording. Live feed, yes. (laughs) So let's bring her to the stage one more time. Who is this again? Kay Flip. And let's hear her rock the paradox to take us out of our show. All right. This poem is called Power. Dear man, please understand. If I am too heavy for you to carry, I don't need to be less of me. I need a man with bigger hands who knows how to hold me or knows when to fold. You told me I was powerless and I believed in you so much that I believed it. Until one day I woke up and said enough is enough. I am just 
trying to love and be loved. I am powerful, but power flows in many forms like a soft sweet rose with thorns. Power oscillates, ebbs and flows, shifts and moves and hides in the shadows. It sparks from the heart, it is the light and the dark, the strength and the softness, the waves and the stillness of the sea, the flower and the tree. There is power in being the sun, and there is power in being the moon, and using the sun's light to move the times. There is power in being powerless, in stepping back and letting others shine, and being a witness to that. And I had thought the times I shut down my heart were a sign that I was being strong. But now I see that there is power in vulnerability and in loving unconditionally. And it takes true bravery to love someone so deeply, so true, to choose not to hurt them when they continue to hurt you to choose to see the best in them when you've seen them at their worst and to tell them that you love them first. There is power deep inside and power goes deeper even when it hurts and power sees through closed eyes and cries, oh baby, love me with wet thighs as you rise above me with hands tied behind my head with mouth full and well fed with lips kiss every inch of your body with tongue licks in rhythm and rhyme and power loves you when you fuck me and power loves you for a long time. That was Katya K. Flip. And um, come back to the mic for a minute because we want to chat with you before we let you go. Yeah. So come on back. Um, so tell us a little bit, you know, I, I think that none of us really knew what to expect, you know, when you, you came in and you, you seemed very sweet and mild-mannered, which, um, <laughs> which was also, I think, apparent in your spoken word style, which is very unique, um, but it really, you know, it, it really brings something to what you're saying. So is... I mean, it sounds to me like it's not really something that it's like we have to say, oh, how did you develop this? <laughs> Your voice has a voice. But yes. <laughs> yes. So, you. you know, it seems like it's a very natural kind of thing. Thank you. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your process? Or? Yeah. Okay. So, um... I think I told you they call me K-Flip because some people say I sort of always surprise people. And I surprised myself this year. I've actually been going through a, a big um, sort of butterfly-like transformation in my life. And I've been writing poetry my whole life. And it always just sort of was slam poetry and I just started performing it this year and it started last year on my birthday my 32nd birthday my best friend um, heard my poetry for the first time and said oh you have to put that out there um, the world needs to hear what you have to say and so 
over the past year, I've just been really trying hard to find my power and my voice. And it's funny because I can be so shy, but I can also somehow get up on stage and be in my power. And I'm still um, in that process. But um, and then I started writing sexy poetry too, and I felt like what better way to just step outside of my comfort zone. Um, yeah, and I'm also really, <laughs> I write mostly from um, imagination, not from experience, although hopefully <laughs> that won't, <laughs> hopefully this is my year of starting to um, step into my sexual self and power as well. Yeah, manifest yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, if, if, that, yes. if, if, if you're stepping just outside your comfort zone, you must have a very big comfort zone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having Thanks. me here. I'm really honored to be around such wonderful people. Thank you. Yeah, thank thank you, you for being on our show. You're and do you, do you have any upcoming performances where people might be able to see you? Um, that's a good question. And n no, not necessarily. I'm just, I do many different things. I'm a teacher, a scientist, a physicist, and a, a puppeteer. Mm. And I've been doing a lot of parades and, and puppeteering, but I haven't yet... Um, quite found out how to get this type of work out into the world so hopefully this will be a start for me mm. oh, thank Sounds you great you have a podcast now yeah <laughs> there you go well yeah. thank you for being on our show and thank you to all the wonderful guests that were on here tonight madison young and andre shakti and katya k flip and um thank you to my wonderful intern ronnie for the cupcakes and for all of her hard work yeah, and um thank you to my co-host will to fly and i will give him a nice ass kicking later in thanks for uh to show my appreciation and thank you to myself spicy spice for holding shit down like the true new yorker i am so yeah i had to say that because we have a new jersey girl in the house too uh, even though i say that all the time anyway have a good night and thank you all for listening to regarding sex live at mutiny fm and get a hold of us at uh, regarding sex at regardingsex.com. If you have a, uh, if you'd like to present or you have some information for us, please do. Or here at Mutiny Radio, we'll see you in two weeks. Well, in terms of computers, it, uh, Moore's law it indicates that you double your trans your speeds every two to three years. Now, oh. that's not that's not. The, uh, <laughs> I, I just got uh, I just got somebody who uh, is obviously listening to the show, which yes. cracks me up that she's listening. Yes. And she said, Zenga will always have words with friends. Always. It has to. <laughs> it's a friend of mine who's addicted to words with friends. So that's so funny. Why didn't Scrabble nice just make their own? Nice to hear from you, my friend, Liz. Yeah. Why didn't yeah. Scrabble just make their own app? Um, words with friends a little different than Scrabble, though. I don't, I don't, I think Scrabble's owned by a bigger game company oh, that okay. makes a bunch like of board Milton games yeah. and something. they're like, you're like, yeah. yeah, no, you have to play it. You know, they're like not create, they didn't create an app. It didn't create an app. And yeah. now Words with Friends exists and there. It's a total rip off of Scrabble. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we make money. But so, I used to be addicted to Words with Friends. But it transitions out and, but uh, you know, who knows? Uh, last, I went to the last Zoho com conference, the last one I went, and one of the presenters actually pointed out that for some reason, 
part of it is just because the technology moves forward, but part of it is just people want it. Like uh-huh. people will line up the night before and cry when they get in the door at the Apple store to get the newest Apple thing. I don't understand it. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, you're wearing the Apple Watch, aren't you? No. No. Oh, no. Okay. Heck, it no. just it looks like you have an iPod on your wrist. No, it's, this is a phone. It's a phone. Yeah, the Apple Watch of Heterotopia. Oh, hang on. Let's try that one more time real quick. Again, welcome back to another installation of Heterotopia. Why would anybody want to incite a riot? America, there's so much to say. This is the most morally polluted, degenerate, insane nation on the face of this earth. This country is not controlled by the United States Constitution. This country do not function under the democratic process. This country is controlled and governed by the capitalists. Why would anybody want to incite a riot? Prison construction, America's sole growth industry. Why would anybody want to incite a riot? Good heavens. Wake up, wake up. Prison construction, America's sole growth industry. Wake up, wake up. Capital follows the profit margin. Always, always. Prison construction, America's sole growth industry. America, there's so much to say. Such a good country! Such a civilized people! America, there's so much to say. The twisted Oh, Monia, la wana mama, can you